Hello, I'm Andrew Henderson and welcome to a very special edition of Balls and Whistles. While our weekly show on a Friday covers what's been happening during the week and looks ahead to the weekend's matches, every now and then we'll have an episode like this one where we talk about a single topic or have a single person on and go into a lot more depth on their career. Today I'm joined by former Ross County manager Stuart Kettlewell, so let's get right into it. Thanks for joining us, Stuart. Really appreciate you taking the time out to chat to us. First off, how have you been? <laughs> no, it's just uh, it's a strange time, really, uh, for us all. Like, it's it's obviously a challenging time when you when anybody loses a job. It's it's a difficult time, of course it is. Um, but I think especially in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of a lockdown, um, it becomes especially hard. Um, so it's just to try and think outside the box, keep my brain active, um, keep my body active, try and get as much exercise as I possibly can and, and try and spend a bit of time with the family. So I think once or twice maybe felt a wee bit sorry for myself. I had uh, a few offers to maybe go and visit a few clubs and spend some time with, with some good people within the game and stuff like that. And just obviously with the nature of what's happened uh, of late, then that's not been possible. But um, as I say, hopefully some of the, the offers and some of the options are are, are still there uh, once things start to, to move, hopefully in the next few weeks. And um, I'll certainly be taking up some of the offers that have been put forward to me. Obviously, I want to try and sort of broaden my horizons as well. I've, I've had some brilliant times. I've had some amazing experiences. Hopefully not to sound too self-obsessed, but if you look at what's happened over the last 10, 11 years, I'm I'm, I'm extremely proud to say that I've I've been a part of every single bit of that, you know, and um, I think just a wee period of time sometimes to, to sit back and just really think about what you've done, think about what's maybe went wrong along the way because there's been plenty of that as a player, as a coach, as a manager as well um, and, and, and just try and learn from it and I've always been big and put my own stamp on things and my own personality on things so um, I think you can do that with some of your some of your shortcomings as well, with some of your feelings as well to see if you can try and evolve as a person. Simple things like the contact that I've had from people is, has been something that really picks you up, you know, because trying to articulate it can be really, really difficult. There are low moments, there are there are moments where you do mope about and you do feel a little bit sorry for yourself, but there's hopefully so much ahead at whatever level, at whatever football club or wherever that might be. All that excites me as well. And I mean, I'll give you a... I'll give you a wee story, and and it's one that really I was blown away with. To be honest with you, the the Saturday that I was sacked it must have been about eleven o'clock at night. I received a phone call from Neil Lennon. It was just the spin that he put on it was probably completely different for everybody else. You look at what he's had to endure over the last period of time. You look at the stresses and strains of managing a football club the size of Celtic and. He took the time out to give me a ring and, and, and spent a bit of time and, and, and had given me some what I think is is some great advice. And I think it's just a mark of the man again. And I'd said that a few weeks previous when we actually beat Celtic, but it was the night before the cup final against Hearts uh, to take the time to give me a ring and offer a bit of support. It was almost to offer a bit of congratulations for what's been achieved over such a long period of time. And as I say, everybody goes into that kind of mourning mode when you've lost your job and, oh, I feel really sorry for you and all the rest of it. But it was really uplifting. You know, I felt it was really pretty inspiring, to be honest with you. And and probably a wee kick up the backside just a matter of hours after losing your job to say, right, well, it's it's not all doom and gloom, you know. And, and it wasn't just him, you know. There was, there was several others that were in contact with me as well. But... Plenty on his plate himself with, with a cup final coming up the next again day and, and, and to be able to, uh, to lift the phone up at that time of night and spend a wee bit of time I felt was a, a, a real touch of class which, I, which is in keeping with what I'd said weeks before as well. Absolutely. I think for me, 
talking to you as a manager over the last couple of years, one of the big things that's really summed up your spell at Ross County has just been hard work, just been putting in the graft. You've always kind of had that, haven't you? Even going back to, I know I've talked to you before, playing football in the street as a kid, you've always had that work ethic and determination to do something in football, haven't you? Yeah, I think uh, it's always been the bit that served me well. And and I really don't see it for effect. I, I genuinely believe it, especially when I was working with the development squad. I really feel that that message can resonate with them. I think you can really drill home that message. And again, incorporating an education and, and a link with, with Dingwall Academy, making sure that these guys were doing something else other than just football, taking them on the pitch twice a day. Now, people would have scoffed at it. But I just didn't believe there was any substitute for that hard work. I don't know how you can get better at something by doing it less. Uh, you know, you know, just stupid things like training on a Sunday. Young kids at, at Ross County used to get a Sunday off and didn't believe in having two days off uh, consecutive because I, I feel you slip into that kind of false sense of security. You start to walk about believing you're a football player, putting the soap bag under your arm and walking through the main street and nicking in and out of the bookies and stuff like that. It doesn't make you a football player. You know, time spent on the pitch, playing in games, making sure you're fit, making sure you're available for selection, not having a fear if you don't get picked on a Saturday or you get picked in a development game on a Tuesday because sometimes that comes into the equation as well. You know, thinking you've got a wee bit of a knock and thinking you could be doing me an extra couple of weeks to to improve that and make sure that you're 100% fit. Well, sometimes you don't have the luxury of that. And as I say, that was just always my way of trying to coach and and, and hopefully trying to get other people to buy into that sort of ethos and, and, and that sort of work ethic. Um, I've seen people in the past within football um, as well, spending loads of hours at a football club, but but not really doing a great deal whilst you're actually there. So taking a sum up, that's always been, you know, for somebody that wasn't particularly talented as a as a football player, which I wasn't, but I, I could genuinely say that I don't think there was too many that worked much harder than myself. That's always been my way of thinking. I've always had a wee bit of a, a kind of motto in terms of working with players. Uh, and again, I probably relate back to a lot of the under-20 stuff. These guys were all sitting waiting to see if they could get another contract. It was always that uncertain period at the end of a season, not quite knowing whether you were going to get your next contract in football. And, it, and it's a horrible time, end of its experience that will tell you it's a kind of horrible time. But I always felt it was my duty as a coach or, or as a leader up to that very last second. And I mean the last second that you have them on the training pitch. They might be leaving the football club, but I always believed that you could have a little bit more of an impact. I believe that you could actually make them better in that last minute, that last few seconds. There might just be one message that really sinks home that, that, that improves them, or there's a one technique that you could try and make slightly better. For a lot of people, it may sound slightly corny and it may sound as if it's a wee bit extreme, but I've probably evidence to back that up and it probably vindicates a lot of, a lot of what I believe in. How did you deal with that sort of uncertainty or, or those knocks of not getting picked in a team when you were a player? Probably a lot different from what people do now, to be honest with you, Andrew. Um, was I a bit of a hothead? Did I take exception to it? Did I spit the dummy? Did I get angry? More than most, I definitely did. And um, Again, I think if you probably ask any manager that I've ever worked under, they would tell you the exact same thing from those knocks and from not being selected or taken off a pitch or whatever. I always believed that I had probably an uncanny knack when you look at the game now of channeling that the right way so I would come back and for me as a manager your dream come true is when you drop somebody or you don't pick them on a Saturday or you take them off the pitch and they feel a bit aggrieved 
but they come back in on a Monday morning and they try even harder. They try and get in your eye line, they try and do the right things. And sometimes you still might not get picked for the next two or three weeks, for the next month or whatever, but it's still your job. You're still paid to be a football player. You don't then get to decide that you're going to go half measures and, and no try properly and, as I say, spit the dummy. I, I always believed that I spat the dummy out, but tried even harder as that was coming. And I can't stand guys that stand and finger point. You know, you, you'll see it. Watch sports scene this weekend. Watch match of the day. And a goal will go in at some point this weekend and you'll see somebody standing pointing at their mate just so that everybody can be sure that the, that was the guy that made the mistake in the game. Whereas I always believed that we were all in it together. I believe that even as a manager, as a coach, as a player, I think that it's a team sport. So you better make sure that your team environment's as good as it can possibly be. Now, by standing there and pointing fingers and having we kind of throw away conversations with guys behind closed doors to throw one of your mates under the bus or to criticise the manager or the coach or whatever it is, doesn't do anybody any good. Um, give your best version every single day you set foot on the pitch. I think I've actually been involved in two of the best dressing rooms that probably Scottish football will have seen. That I'll argue with anybody that that's the case. The dressing room I was involved at Queen's Park was frightening. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was just a bunch of boys that were all mates. I still speak to a lot of the guys to this day. And, you know, it's more than 15 years ago or whatever since I played with a lot of these guys. But, I mean, I'd take any one of them in the trenches. I knew that if a fight broke out in a pitch that they would all be in it with me. I knew if a fight broke out on a Saturday night in a, in a pub or a club or something like that, that they would all be in it with me, um, as I would do for them. And, and really, that does take you very, very far. I, I do believe it. And we did. We, we we drank together. We played snooker together. We played football together. We threw darts together. we done absolutely everything together. And then if I take that on to, to Ross County, a lot of the guys that, that I played with Queen's Park don't believe me, but I think that that even went up another level again. And, and, and I'll tell you for why. I think it was because most of us were, had moved away from home, you know, so we actually lived up here away from a lot of our families and stuff like that. So I think that social aspect of it probably went to another level again. You know, you would have dinner with guys, you know, some of the younger guys and some of the boys that were single and whatnot, you know, myself and, and Katie, my, my missus, would invite them round for tea, you'd bring them round for dinner, you know, remember on occasion going to do your Christmas shopping and stuff and say to the boys, look, you'll need to come round and look after the kids so that we can go and just blast this and get our Christmas shopping done and stuff like that. But as I say, there was a social aspect to it. The biggest part for me was going in every single day and, and that buzz of training and, and sitting in a dressing room with these guys and and again, when I had to retire at 30, I, I didn't know at the time, but I probably went into a bit of a depression. Not having that, what I would like it to be a drug of going in and, and having the banter and having the crack with, with the boys in the dressing room. It was just, it was phenomenal. Honestly, you could sit with any of them. You could go around and pick random numbers in the dressing room and say, right, I'm going to sit with these guys for an hour or I'm going to go down to the gym with this lot of guys. And, and it would be absolutely phenomenal, honestly. I, I mean, I could sit here for now to to next week and tell you stories about some of the stuff that used to go on, you know, just proper characters, proper guys that you trust, proper guys that you would back 100% and you would, you'd put your body in the line for them. And, and again, from, from my side of things, I, that's how I approached the game on a Saturday. I'd go and put my body on the line for these guys because I knew that any one of them would do the exact same for me, you know. Would I have done that for guys that I didn't respect and guys that I didn't value? I don't think so. I don't think I would have done that. Um, but it was just a natural thing for you because you had so much respect for each other. You had such a togetherness and such a bond. I could have been fighting with one of these guys in training during the week, but once training had finished and we went up for a lunch after it, I'd make a point and go and sit beside them. I'd make a point and 
put my arm around them or they'd do the same with me. You could have picked another 15, 16, 17 guys and they were all the same. You know, I've, I've seen plenty of punch-ups with that group. I've seen plenty of ridiculous tackles and training. Most of them, I have to tell you, were, were mine. There was a couple, uh, I think it was myself and Mark Cochran at the time. The boys probably still say that it's the worst tackle that they've ever seen in their entire life. You know, proper red mist had come down and getting told to get off the training pitch because I'd taken it far too far, you know. But lo and behold, who'd I sat beside in the dress room? I sat beside Coco and I, I went to him after it and says, listen, I, I don't know what come over me there. That, that was ridiculous. That was that was scandalous, what I've just done. And he puts his arm around me and tells me, oh, it's absolutely fine, mate. It's all forgotten about. It's, it's no hassle. But does that not just tell you what you had in that dress room? It was, it, it was something special. And that's, again, I believe how men conduct their business on a football field, but it's changed very, very quickly and it's changed dramatically. And and I still think that we can take a lot of value from a lot of what the, the principles were, the hard work and the, and the honesty and um, the kind of respect that you had for your teammates. And as I say, if you had a bad game, you had a bad game. If you had a bad training session, you had a bad training session. You know, we used to always talk about going home and having two paracetamol and closing the blinds if you'd had a bad day and getting yourself under the duvet and forget about it and come back fresh the next again day. But sometimes you have to be honest with yourself. We all have bad days in, in, in whatever walk of life. And um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe in football now, we're always trying to protect our own image and we're trying to protect our own value. Whereas, as I say, I used to see it on a daily basis that somebody would have a nightmare and probably stick their hands up and accept it and, and move on. You clearly had a great spirit in that Ross County dressing room, but you mentioned Queen's Park as well, and you did spend a lot of your playing days in the lower leagues of Scottish football. Even with the, the hard work and the determination that we've talked about, did you ever start doubting that you would make it to the top flight? I probably did, yeah. Um, I'll tell everybody that I didn't, but if I can I think about it deep down, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of times where I, I wondered if I just maybe cut ties with Queen's Park and, you know, I'd, I think probably the summer that I left Queen's Park, I think I'd virtually had contact from most teams from sort of Championship uh, League 1 and League 2, I think, pretty much. There was varying levels of offers, you know, there was a lot of part-time offers that would give you a few quid in your pocket, but it was obviously part-time and people trying to offer you wee perks here and there. There was, I was probably blown away at that time by how much interest there was in me, but a lot of it wasn't what I was looking for because I was wanting that top-level football. I was wanting to play full-time and I was wanting to make it my career and my livelihood. It got to a point where that slowly went into sort of championship clubs and started to get contact for teams of probably higher caliber teams that could offer full-time football and, and, and probably line up with what my sort of ambitions were at the time, you know, where I wanted to go at the time. Prior to that, you know, I've, I've had as many knocks, if not more knocks than, than most, you know, I've had a lot of people say that you're not good enough, but again, what are you going to do? You're not, you're not going to lock your front door and not come back out the house again. You've just got to find a way to try and impress the right people. My big bit was I knew what I was as a player. I knew what I could do. I knew I could run all day. I knew I could go up and support strikers. Probably couldn't finish the way that I would have loved to because I could get into some really, really good positions. I knew what I was. I knew that if the game got ugly, that I could really go and mix it with the opposition. I felt it was kind of hard but fair as a player. Um, uh, and as I say, probably break the play up and give it to guys that could play, you know, give it to guys that had some real quality, which, again, I was fortunate enough to do, and, and I tried to take that into my style of management and coaching as well, because 
probably a lot of people would look at me and say the way I played and your mindset as to what you would actually be able to do um, would simply be to be a kind of robust style of play and an ugly style of play. And it really wasn't because I'd managed to, or been fortunate enough to play in, to my mind, two really, really good footballing teams in Ross County and Queen's Park through the years that I'd played at both clubs and the, the hundreds of games that were played there. The brand of football at times was was absolutely phenomenal. You know, it was really, it was tremendous. And, and I tried to take aspects of that with me into coaching and management, but I also realised that my role at times was to do the ugly stuff within that, to let the quality players and the, you know, I'll, I'll rhyme a few off and I'll miss a few as I go along, but probably my favourite player to play with was somebody like a Paul Lawson. That was, Paul Lawson was probably my ideal uh, teammate to play with in the middle of the park, and if you look at that midfield, you know, sure. what was my role in that team? It was to be the energetic one, it was to break up the play, I love playing the loss because he'd be the type of guy that would drop off and take the ball off his centre-backs. His range of pass was phenomenal. I felt as if I could take off and he'd hold and sort of protect that middle area of the park. If we needed the two years to be defensive, then we'd quite comfortably sit in that area of the pitch. You know, you had the Vigers who, to my mind, is, is as technically a gifted player as I've ever played with. Athletically, he was, he was very good as well. Um, still is, to my mind. And you look at Richie Britton, who was that dead ball expert, would receive the ball under pressure. Well, I would say had a bottle to, to go and take the ball under pressure, which is an art in itself. You know, there's a lot of people go hiding when you're under pressure. And I don't just mean under pressure as in uh, there's a guy breathing down your neck and he's a half yard away from you about to make a tackle. But I also mean when games are tough and you really need a result or you need a big moment, then I thought he was very, very good at doing that. That's for that Ross County team. So you start to see the blend that's there and you say to yourself, right, well, if I'm going to try and be one of these guys, then I'm not going to get a game in the team. I'm not going to play because they're better at those aspects. But I'm fairly certain if you ask them, what would I do in that team? Then they would say, well, he done that bit that I didn't particularly like and he done that bit that wasn't great. And you maybe look at the centre-backs in that team as well. And I would like to hope that with what was in front of them, they probably enjoyed because they felt as if they had a protection, they felt as if they had a bit of quality in front of them. Scott Boyd and Grant Monroe, probably the two that spring to mind, having played the majority of games. Um, but again, we felt the same with them behind us. We felt as if there was a brilliant balance, a great experience, and just guys that knew how to do their job behind us as well. A lot of people don't like the ugly stuff and the, and the hard graft. You know, we look at it now with all the GPS monitors and stuff like that. You know, we didn't have the, the benefit of that back in the day, but... I'm 99% sure that most weeks I would have topped that uh, in terms of distance covered um, throughout a game. But if I didn't do that, then I, I probably wouldn't have felt as if I was having the effect on the game that I needed to have to make sure that these guys could could really flourish and ultimately win as the game. You know, I was never saying that I would be the guy that would win as the game. But I think the flip side of that was the respect that also that they would have for the likes of myself probably punters and press and whatnot, maybe wouldn't highlight it, but I also knew that my mates beside me would come and pat me in the back if they felt that, that I had achieved that on a Saturday. You obviously had a, a really great time of it at County. You had multiple cup finals. You got a promotion to the SBL. You got into the top six in the SBL as well. That was just what made it so special, wasn't it? You, you've alluded to it there. It was you had that hard work, the graft, but also plenty of ability on the ball and, and you played good football as well. What I believe was a sort of masterstroke, if I'm being honest, and this is where the game has changed. But generally throughout that period, 
none of us were really interested in what money we were earning. Money seems to be the god in football now, you know. Money seems to be everybody's god. And I just think if you do well and, and you give a football club everything that you've got, every ounce of energy, every ounce of commitment that you've got, and take a pride in playing for them, you know. Take a pride in being a part of their history and trying to achieve something for them. Because this is the other wee bit that we forget as well, I think. People go to football clubs and think that well, I've been a right good player for them, but see to me, it's what have you achieved? You know that that's when it starts to tell you have you been a good player or not. You know, there's there's been a lot of really really good football players that have got no silverware. They don't have the unbelievable memories of a, a cup final or a promotion or winning a league or top six as you've rightly mentioned in the in the Premier League for Ross County finished fifth in the Premier League. That's that 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 that's incredible. That's just a brilliant achievement and. As I say, when you can start to list all these things off, then I, I firmly believe that you've been a good player for a football club. But I can hand in my heart tell you this, that for somebody that earned £15 a week playing for Queen's Park for all those years and playing 200 plus games and being a captain and winning promotion and breaking records and all the rest of it, I didn't care less. I wasn't interested in earning any more money because nobody could guarantee me that I was going to play with as good a people as what I was playing with. Nobody was going to tell me that I was going to play with a better manager than Billy Stark. Nobody was going to tell me that we were going to break the records that we did do at Queen's Park and that I got to be captain of all this. And it was a brilliant honour to, to, to put on the armband and go and play at Hamden every second week. People forget what an honour that is. And I know sometimes it was in front of one man and their dog, but it was just a brilliant thing for me. I was brought up in the street. I was brought up to go and play football and 15 aside, 20 aside. That was how I learned to play football. So to come from that side of things, to go and play at the likes of Hamden, that surpasses any money that you're ever going to give him there. It really does. And um, Sorry, I'm wee bit off track, but where I was going with that, the masterstroke in that group at Ross County was that we... We all earned the same money, you know, give or take a few quid, we earned virtually the same amount of money as, as each other. Therefore, there was no grudges, and I said it earlier, there was no talking behind closed doors. Well, there wouldn't be because we're kind of earning the same money. We're all trying to bring the same to the party. We have different qualities and our different attributes. And knowing that somebody wasn't earning a £1,000 a week or something more than you, there was no bitterness towards anyone. We were all in it to try and carve out careers in the game and try and be successful for Ross County. The same way I was when we were all earning £10-£15 expenses at, at Queen's Park. You know, I tell a, a, an honest story here as well. With my £15 that I used to get at Queen's Park for my expenses, on my way home on a Thursday, I used to go and fill up my wee Fiat Punto because you didn't have two coins to rub together. So that £15, it wasn't like I'd done something luxurious where, you know, I would go and put £15 worth of fuel in my car to get me back forward for the game on the Saturday. And, and that was just what you'd done. But see, for me, that's the wee bit of beauty of the game as well. I think it, it really is. And, um, and I can honestly hand in my heart say that Whatever one bonus I've ever earned in a game of football, I've never once in my life thought about it coming off the pitch. And I don't think I've ever thought about it on a Saturday night or anything like that at all. I think sometimes maybe your missus will say, oh, that was good, maybe on a Monday or something or a Sunday and say that was good that you've won a game because we've got a few extra quid in the bank. But I can genuinely hand on heart say that the beauty and the joy of winning the three points and whether that was taking you a step closer to a promotion into Premier League or into the top six, that was all that I needed. I didn't need the money. Listen, I didn't knock it back and I didn't send it back <laughs> to the club, don't get me wrong, but um, I can genuinely say that I never went round the dressing room. None of the boys did and went, oh, brilliant, that's an extra few quid in their pocket. Again, maybe that's just a sign of the times. I'm not trying to shame MD because everybody's got their own passion in life, everybody's got their own beliefs and, and, and what motivates them and all the rest of it, but... 
I can genuinely say that in football, it's it's always been the the success, the feeling that that a win gets you, the feeling that a promotion gets you, or a cup final gets you. That's always been my motivation. Or in latter years, seeing people get better, watching people develop, and um, especially younger guys, I can tell you that that's one thing that that I buzz off it. Of. I don't I don't go and celebrate it with them. You know, thinking about somebody like say a Josh Reader that that's that, that got into the first team this year and was given a lot of opportunity. They'll still get a hard time at it. They'll still be driven more so when they make it into the first team and all the rest of it. They'll be driven. Um, they'll be challenged. Um, but I can genuinely say that that's something that really motivates me. And I think a lot of that comes from my background of seeing young players getting an opportunity at Queen's Park. And, and then even laterally at Ross County, it was still a fairly experienced group, but it was still a group of guys that were probably rejected from a lot of other clubs so somebody else had to give us another bash at it and I think that all of that starts to mount up to your beliefs and your passion in the game and as I say I want to see young players given opportunities I want to see young players progress but I'd like to see them do it with a lot of the principles that I've just spoken about there and not having the soap bag under their arm and starting to believe in their own hype and you know I believe you work even harder when you start to see the shoots of success but certainly always what I've tried to drive as a coach is you don't change just because all of a sudden people start liking you as a player and people think you've got a future. You then start to see boys walking out at 12 o'clock as if, well, I've made it now, haven't I? That's me. I've achieved everything I need to achieve in the game. I don't even think that's the start. I don't even think you've scratched the surface at that point. So I love to see uh, younger players get opportunities and progress. But as I say, I would always encourage that to continue, you, you know, your foundations, your beliefs come from what you're getting as a 16, 17 year old. But for me, that should take you to your, hopefully, if you're lucky, 35, 36 or, or, or whatever stage you, you finish playing the game. You're talking about the, the coaching side of things there, the manager side of things. So let's just go straight into that. You mentioned earlier when you retired quite early on at 30 because of injury, you, you kind of struggled a wee bit. How tough did you find that transition from being a player into being a coach and being a manager? Not really difficult, to tell you the truth. Um, not really difficult because I had my mind fixed that that's what I wanted to do at some point. So the, probably the process came much sooner than I thought because, again, as I've rattled on about already, that I had visions of trying to be one of these guys that played till I was 38, 39, 40 because I didn't carry any weight and I was fitting up to that point and I, I never had any problems with injuries really at all you know I didn't really have issues with muscle injuries I hadn't really had anything up to that point so probably always in my head I'd sort of thought right what try and get to my late 30s and play and, and again I would never have been scared of going down the levels again you know going down the divisions if that's where my path was but when I realised that I wasn't going to be able to play full-time football for any longer then the kind of coaching aspect was always something that I believed in because I I felt as if I'd tried to be a coach as a player, if you like, and not by overstepping my mark, but I would always try and give information to those about me. I would always try and motivate MD that I felt looked a wee bit low. I'd always try and get an arm around somebody if I felt they were having a bad time yet. I would always get embroiled in the awkward conversations or the arguments if need be in a dressing room. I'd speak up for myself or I'd speak up for somebody that I felt needed a wee bit of backup or needed a wee bit of help. Um, so from that point of view, there's a, there's a lot of characteristics from within that that probably link with a, a sort of leadership role, a, a coach, a manager. 
I'd played with a lot of guys that had often spoke about when I finished playing, that's me, I'm finished, I'm, I'm the one involved. But again, I was always the polar opposite. I'd dip my toe in the water way, get in with people that I knew and liked that I'd coach, you know, um, big Paul Ronald, who I, I, I speak to every single day um, still. He was somebody I played with and he was a senior player at Queen's Park during that successful time and he's just a brilliant guy, really um, great football knowledge. He, he was a guy that played in his late 30s, um, just brilliant to have about the place, brilliant sounding board for me for the last however many years and he was actually in doing opposition match reports at Ross County for us. He'd been involved in a lot of coaching at Hamilton and involved in coaching at Queen's Park. So I used to actually just go and spend a wee bit of time with him on Tuesdays and Thursdays when I was down the road and... So I'd sort of dip my toe in the water with there. I'd dip my toe in the water with a wee bit with a guy called Ricky Waddle that I played with at Clyde. Um, and he had been taken, I think it was an under-16s group there. So I'd always been trying to work my way into it, I suppose. And for nothing else, just to listen to other people and look what other folk are doing. And, and then probably the most important one was when Stephen Ferguson was assistant manager, first team coach at Ross County. Stuart Balmer as well, um, when he was assistant manager. I, I used to speak to them off the pitch at times. I used to sort of pace drills out. I used to ask them why we were doing certain things. It wasn't just a case of here's a drill, let's just do it. It was kind of what's the purpose behind this? What's your thinking behind this? I used to just try and delve into it a wee bit and, and probably a bit of a geek in that sense as well that I, I remember um, probably the night or two before I went in to take the under-20s group. I remember sitting and not so much having a wobble but I was kind of like... I don't know if I've got the background tools here, as in the number of sessions, the the amount of variation, the the terminology and all of that sort of stuff to just jump in and do this on a full-time basis. But I'd actually been sitting scribbling away notes for years. You know, I'd actually been taking notes of, of Stephen's drills, of Stuart Palmer's drills, Big Paul Ronald's stuff, Billy Stark stuff, you know. And even to this day, if somebody asked me to go and put on a session or something like that, You'll see bits from everybody that I've crossed paths with, you know, Derek Adams stuff. I, I used to really enjoy a lot of Derek's training. We kind of knew what we are doing most days, but again, I always felt it was just set up as, you know, if you're asking me to do this every day, am I going to enjoy it? And, and the answer was always a resounding yes. I think it was was set up as to be competitive. You know, we, it was set up that we were looking for a winner out of every single day, no matter what we were doing. You were looking to see somebody that was going to stick out or a team that was going to win. And as I say, guys like Billy Stark and, and Stephen just were, were massive for me. So as I started to stack up, I'm thinking, right, well, I could go for months here and not do the same passing drill. I could go for months and not do the same possession and stuff. What used to really motivate me and, and still does was, like say those Tuesday afternoons or Thursday afternoons or whatever that I, I work with the development squad, I used to have the crux in my session and I in the morning and, and, and take the guys out. I like to think it invigorated them. It certainly uh, helped progress a lot of them. Um, but I used to love the afternoons because a lot of the time I'd sit with Scott Thompson, the goalie coach, and we'd sit and go, right, what do we want to do? Right, we've seen that in the game on Tuesday with a striker and we didn't feel we dealt with this situation particularly well. So we used to just design a session for scratch, you know, and I, I probably got that side it for Stephen. It was like, let's just make something up here. Let's find something that one player needs to work on, we'll incorporate that into the group and we'll go and work away for an hour, two hours, whatever it was. Sometimes we find ourselves just getting carried away and we just keep adding layers on and adding layers on 
And what the boys were really good at was buying into, you know, it's the striker this week, but it might be the centre-back next week. It might be the right-back tomorrow. It could be the centre-midfielder. But I never used to try and do it to units. I used to try and do it to specific individual players. And Big Tom was brilliant at it as well. You know, it was a scrap of paper. It was on a board, a marker board or whatever. And we would try and design something. We'd go and stand in the pitch and put a few markers out, put a few mannequins out. And then before long, it was just snowballing. Um, I think every coach, I've said this somewhere before, I think every coach thinks that you go on the pitch and you just get it right. And see if you don't, it's like I'm saying with football players, actual players, once you go on the pitch, you don't always get it right. In fact, a lot of the time you get it wrong and it's only by getting it wrong that whatever you're doing starts to evolve into something that you actually like and you think will actually work. Stephen used to talk about that room 101, saying you've, you've never been a coach until you've had a couple of room 101s. And I remember this genuinely, and I've done it myself. I remember being on a pitch with Stephen and he's brought out something new, new passing down, new possession, whatever, and it never worked. And I just remember him picking up the markers and the poles and the cones and everything and moving on to the next part of the session and saying, right, guys, that one goes into room 101 and you'll never see it again. And I just thought it was brilliant at the time as a player because you actually need to have something about you to be able to stand in front of a group of 20 guys or whatever and admit that you've got something wrong. Um, and Stephen done that with us and we respected him for it. We were laughing. We we appreciated it. We knew how good a coach he was and that didn't take away from the fact that he was a brilliant coach or he is a brilliant coach. It just, it, you tried something that never worked. And I think that that just makes you better. I just think that continues to make you better, not just as a coach, but as a person as well. And, been numerous times I've done that myself. And as I say, I think it's about having a better bottle about you to be able to admit that it was wrong. Sometimes it might read its head again, but just in a slightly different form. And I think that you see a human side to you as a person, as a coach, you know, I believe in trying to get a connection with players, with staff, with everybody around about the football club. And if you just go about in this kind of robotic manner all the time and believing that your way is always right and you've never been wrong and you have to speak to people on a certain level all the time, you're never going to get a connection with anybody. And everything I think I've said here for the start is I start to cast my mind back is it's all about people. How do you get the best out of people, whether it's you as a player, your guy doing the kit, uh, your secretary, whoever it is, you need to have a connection with people. There needs to be that. And without that, then I, I really don't believe you have anything. So when it came to taking over the first team, to start with as co-manager alongside Stephen, did you feel prepared with all this behind you or, or was it the learning curve that some people might have expected? 100% I felt prepared. I don't know, probably if I was doing it with somebody else or or if I was just getting pitched in myself at that point, maybe the answer would have been no, but I can't speak highly enough for Stephen and how good I think he is with pretty much every facet within Ross County, for talking say, and all the different roles he's held, uh, be it a academy director, assistant manager, first team coach, co-manager, chief executive, you name it. I think he's um, absolutely phenomenal at what he does. Um, a lot of people will see me as, as very biased and maybe see it as a wee bit corny, me, me saying that, but... Again, I won't ever speak how I feel. And uh, as I say, going in at that moment at Ross County, I did. I believe that we could have got the team out of trouble. I believe we could have got ourselves into safety in the Premier League. And if I was hand-picking it, there wouldn't have been another person I would have picked to go in and do it with. You know, similar values to myself, similar upbringing, speak about that street kid and all the rest of it. Um, similar beliefs on football. I always felt that we've, we've been able to 
complement each other very well in all different environments. You know, you're talking about was there situations that come up and we learned, of course it was, there was a million things that happened that we didn't know the answer to. But I felt like working together, we were really good at trying to map that out of how we find a solution. Um, I always felt we were very good at giving everybody our time again at all levels, be it um, at academy level, being asked to do certain events, you know, team talks, however it was, I always felt we were able to to weigh that up and balance it off and whether it was good cop, bad cop, we were both able to be good cop, we were both able to be bad cop, we were both able to have a laugh, we were both able to be serious, we could both deliver the bad news to players or whatever, we could both negotiate, bringing players in, speaking to the chairman, whatever level it was, so that all comes from a person, it all comes from a personality, it all comes from at times not taking yourself too serious, but also knowing that there's an incredible work ethic there with the likes of Stephen as well, you know, wanting to achieve, wanting to see that next goal uh, materialise, so once you weigh all of that up, for me, it's it's a no-brainer to being pitched in with him and, and going in and doing it at that level was fine. There was there was no issue. I probably had the connection with the with the first team players at the time, you know, because I'd been working more with the first team than than Stephen had for that spell. So um, I maybe felt as if I had some of the relationships with the players. I had that connection with whereas Stephen maybe didn't deal with them as much as what I did at that stage. So. Um, we were probably both bringing different skills and different qualities to the party at that point. We had a decent go at it. We came up short, but again, you know what it's like in football. You know how this whole thing goes. It would be dead easy for myself and Stephen to blame everybody else that had went before us and say it was all their fault that Ross County get relegated and stuff. Everybody could have a look through what was said over the piece then. We never blamed anybody. You know, I had a, I had a really good relationship with Owen Coyle and Sandy, um, the same with Jim and Billy. These were all guys that, that were nothing but good for me and, and, and gave me a lot of opportunity as well. So I think what we done was we took responsibility for Ross County going down because ultimately we were asked to take 10 games in charge. We felt that we could probably turn it round and keep us in the division and we weren't able to do that. So as such, that whole sort of mudslinging thing and trying to point fingers at players or previous managers, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And um, I think, again, we probably learned as much for that wee spell as we did anything else and, and obviously took us into that championship season. Going back to that summer in 2018, it felt at the time, from my perspective, I don't know if you'll agree with this, like it was very much the start of a new era at Ross County. There was a lot of turnover. The playing squad, yourself and Stephen, were in as permanent co-managers. Did you feel like there was a bit more pressure on you that championship season to go up than there actually was to stay in the Premiership? Yeah, I think that's it's probably a good question, Andrew. I think there was I've made no secret, I've said it in the past, and I'm sure Roy will, will admit to it, but we were told that we had to be promoted that season. It was as simple as that. Obviously, the financial implications and, and all the rest of it, we were, we, we were under no uncertain terms that we had to be promoted. So, obviously, there's a degree of pressure that goes with that. We know that we're in a difficult division. We know that we've teams like Partick Thistle that had finished above us in the Premier League. Um, we know that there's Dundee United with a crazy sort of spending power, I suppose, at, at that level. You know, very good there, United side, big clubs like Dunfermline and all that. So it was never going to be easy. But I think we knew that we'd kept a good nucleus to what we'd had the season before. And, and a lot of guys that we knew had achieved things in their career. So again, it goes back to that guys that had actually got across the line in big situations so we probably felt that we could lean on a lot of these guys and that they would be able to deliver for us 
unfortunately at times we, we'd lost a lot of these sort of what we would maybe call default 11 guys that we thought that were going to play in our team week in, week out. So there was quite a few uh, bad injuries over the piece. So we, we also had to negotiate a way around that as well. But I think going in on day one and basically being told you need to win a league and looking through history and seeing that in recent times, maybe only Cali and, and Hearts have been the two teams that have been able to do that. It's, it's such a hard thing to do. So yeah, there was pressure where, but again, I don't ever think we really felt that pressure between the two years. It's not in, a, in an arrogant way. It's not in a dismissive way. But I think that we were able to deal with it by sitting in a room together as we did and discussed everything and took everything in our stride. You know, you would rather that than doing some sort of job that doesn't matter. That's the bit that drives you on on a daily basis. So I think we thrived off that. I think we relished it. And I think the majority of people did. We probably, in, in truth, sensed a wee bit of nervous energy in the stadium and in and around, around the football club and uh, kind of weeks leading up to actually winning the league. And it was funny because I think we really had it set in our mind that we weren't going to try and portray that from your point of view. We, you know, anybody that we felt was like that, anybody that was going a bit quiet or a wee bit jittery, we really wanted to try and iron that out, you know. So that was wee bits that we identified. And when you get to sort of the point where you can achieve something like that. I understand that people can get a wee bit nervous or as a player, I remember promotion with Queen's Park and promotion with Ross County. I remember getting to the point where you're almost getting across that final hurdle. And it's not nervous because I couldn't say I've ever been nervous for that point of view, but it's when you want something so much, you know, you're so desperate for something to happen. People can do strange things. But again, I felt we, we really kept that in line exactly how we wanted to do it and as I say I believe in Stephen's personality I think he's very very good at making people feel good about themselves and feeling comfortable so for me personally around about that time I felt that that was a, a key aspect of what had to happen so not so much that information on the pitch but almost away from the park and around the stadium in dressing rooms and whatnot I think that his nature has always been good could make you feel 10 foot tall just with one sentence you know just You've sat and listened to him at times as well, Andrew, same as I have. He's got that bit about him that really um, really makes people feel good about themselves. And uh, and, I, and I think that that's an art as well. And, and I think that that was a big contributing factor to us, to us getting across the line that season. When you're waxing lyrical about Stephen, and rightfully so, as far as I can see, and it was uncanny at times when the two of you were co-managers that we talked to one of you one week and the other the next week, and it was like you both had one mind. It, it was really strange in a way, but really encouraging in another. Just under a year ago, when you became sole manager of Ross County and Stephen became the chief exec, how did you approach that? Were, were you a bit worried that things might change? No, I wasn't. I would say that we weren't really looking to change it as such. We were pretty comfortable with, with how we were working and, and how things were going, you know, because you probably look at it and you say, well, we'd won the championship, we'd won the, the Challenge Cup, which we said we'd set out to do. Um, and then you go into the Premier League and be it what it may, you know, through the pandemic and how it all came about. But we were able to keep the team in the Premier League in year one, which was was always our, our target. So you'd probably say that within that kind of infancy of that co-management, we had done a pretty damn good job of it. You know, you would say that it was good. We feel as if we were able to 
help some players along the way as well. You know, there was some younger guys coming in. There was, you know, you look at the attention that somebody like Sir Ross Stewart's been getting of late. You look at like Sir Jamie Lindsay going down to Rotherham and stuff like that. You know, so there was a, a lot of good things happening. Um, I'm not looking back on it and and feeling sorry for myself or anything, but it's, it's probably one of those ones that you look at it and say we, we were very comfortable with with the way the situation was, but maybe in another time, maybe in different set of circumstances, exactly what happened and the changes that were there would have worked out perfectly well. You just don't know. It's hindsight's a wonderful thing, and um, and football's a funny old game, and it, and none more so than what this year's been. Um, but in, in terms of me going to do the job myself. Of course, I, I miss my old mucker beside me on a, on a daily basis, uh, getting into that office and, and sitting opposite him. Again, what, be it a laugh, be it ironing out certain situations, you know, sitting, speaking to one another to God knows what time at, at night, you know, leaving the office, coming back away from the office and still sitting for the rest of the night and having our, uh, our wives asking a question that maybe we should uh, swap houses or whatever, you know, so you can see the way that that sort of bond and that relationship was, but there's certainly no fear from me to do the job I was doing. And there was no fear from Stephen to do his job. And equally, there was no fear to change the backroom staff. You mentioned the chairman. How has your relationship with him changed over the last few years? You sometimes hear stories about a manager and a chairman not getting on brilliantly, but he clearly had a lot of trust in you. I've got absolutely no respect for him now. I told you that I have. Uh, <laughs> no, that's purely tongue in cheek, of course. Uh, no, nah, you know, I've spoken to Roy uh, last week. What happens, happens. Uh, I don't think he found it particularly easy to have the conversation with myself. And, and understandably, uh, you know, I like to think that, that Roy's been very, very good for me as a person. I think he's, he, he's done well by me as a person. But I also like to think that I've, I've probably reciprocated that. I also like to think that I've probably done the same um, going the other way as well. And I think that there is a, a mutual respect from that point of view. I quite clearly respect what he's done for Ross County. I quite clearly respect him as a man. Uh, I, I respect what he does in business. I've taken so much from him. Listen, again, you've, you've heard a number of people say that. You're not, you certainly won't get me saying a bad word about Roy McGregor far from it. I know sure as anything that every day that, that I've been at Ross County for the last 11 years or more, um, I've given 110%. I've never shirked any challenges there. Um, I've always spoke up, I believe, in, in behalf of the football club. And as I say, I've tried to give them my best version for every role that I've held over that time. So I think sometimes it's just nice to say in football that when you look at a lot of the achievements along the way, I think it's just nice to say that you've been good for each other. Um, and it doesn't have to go with any animosity. It doesn't have to go with any ill feeling or anything like that. As I say, we were contact again last week and, um, and Roy's been great. You know, first and foremost, he does think about the likes of my family. You know, I have got four kids and so um, not even thinking about a monetary side or, or anything like that, but a welfare side. How are you? How's the kids? How's Katie and all the rest of it? And for me, again, that, that I have a lot of value in that. It's, it goes back to that people side of things and, We've spent some real good times together. We've had some great achievements. I think if you'd asked Roy 11 years ago, um, and probably the day that I'd walked into the football club, did he think that all of this sort of stuff was going to happen and over the next decade or so? The answer would be no, and it'd have been the same with myself. And and please believe me, that's I'm not sitting here saying that that was all down to me. I'm just 
I feel privileged to say that I've seen it all over that period of time and um, and I think he gets everything he deserves off the back of that because it's it's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort, it's it's a lot of financial backing that, that helps and all of that as well. But probably utmost it's a culture that you create as well that makes that happen. The decision was made last month for you to leave the club. I wasn't at the match that day. I was following it on social media and seeing your post-match interview was amazing, I thought, just for you to have the honesty and the courage to come out and say what you did. You've said quite a lot over the years you have no intention of ever being on social media. Were you aware of the reaction that that got in the moment? No. Well, I think I maybe was from the messages and the phone calls that I'd had that night. Again, I took something for Stephen that, that a lot of people probably don't do and maybe one or two people that listen to this will call me up on it, but I genuinely tried to reply to every single text message, every WhatsApp, every phone call that anybody's ever made to me, even emails, everything. I try and reply to absolutely everything that I possibly can. And again, it was just something that Stephen had pitched out to me a while back when I started doing the development job that you always bring a clarity to a situation. You always bring an end to a situation just by responding. Um, you know, Andrew, you've messaged me and I've replied to you, which was in actual fact the case. And as many other people had done, that's always been the way I've done it. So, you know, the Saturday night once I was sacked, I was inundated with contact for so many people, family, friends, people in the game, people that have been in the game are now out the game and all the rest of it, all different levels. And I was blown away with it. And on the Saturday night, I actually sat and tried to get through every single one of them. I wanted to take care of that situation, not to make it go away, but I just wanted to thank people for having me in their thoughts and taking the time to, to contact me, really. Um, and it was probably at that point that it was flagged up about what I'd done because I never really thought too much about it at the time. Um, you know, I'd spoke to a press guy at the time as we were walking into the trackside and I just mentioned to him, I says, look, I've just been sacked, but I'm going to go and speak to the press guys. And Big Dale's a good guy, Andrew, you know, I, I thought he was going to have a fit. You know, I thought he was going to, he was, he was fit to be tied at, at the time we started flapping a wee bit and said, how, how are you going to do it? And, and it's not for effect, it's just, I felt as if I'd spoken to everybody. I felt as if I'd dealt with everybody in every scenario as the manager and every other situation that I've been asked to face up, I felt as if I'd faced them up and and I felt I would let myself down. I'd maybe let my family down if I didn't then go and front it up myself and go and say it in my words. Of course, it's difficult to do it, but I just felt that I wanted it to be me. I wanted it to be my words rather than somebody coming out and making a statement on my behalf because I'd... I don't believe in it. I've always tried to speak on behalf of myself um, throughout time and probably as time rattles on in this podcast here, um, you'll get a vibe that I'm not for stopping talking, but I genuinely want to speak for myself. Um, I tried to get round as many of the players as I could in the stadium. You know, I've seen in situations before where the manager brings the players in the next day and we all sit in a lounge and tells everybody how wonderful they are and how unlucky we've been and that side, it's only words as far as I'm concerned. I have a huge amount of respect for a lot of people at football clubs, still do, always will. You know, that that, that that doesn't change. Still want the football club to be successful, still want them to win. But that whole idea, dragging it out, knowing that there was a midweek game coming, knowing that potentially some of the guys that were already in the building were going to be asked to take the team. There might be a new manager coming in, whatever it was. 
I didn't want to drag that out for any longer than it had to be because I didn't need anybody to pat me in the back. I didn't need them to give me a cuddle. I'm, I'm fine. I'll be, I'll be all right. And it's no that it doesn't hurt me and I don't care. It's the polar opposite for that. I do. And, and that's my thinking that I, I didn't want the whole sideshow to be about me and poor me and everybody feel sorry for me. Because again, I would give my own kids into trouble for feeling sorry for themselves and for for wanting that wee bit of extra attention and stuff like that. So again, it's just no no something that I, I believe in. Um, and and from that angle, um, I was a wee bit blown away by the response from from everybody. Sometimes you just have that gut feeling to do something, and it seemed like the right thing for me to do at the time. I spoke to all the players to their credit after the game be it through text, be it through phone calls, every one of them's been wished all the best, every one of them, I hope to succeed, I hope they go and do well for Ross County, I hope to see a number of them kicking on through their careers and all of that sort of stuff and and it was just basically get behind the next guy that's there and make sure you give them their all, make sure you give the football club everything that you've got and as I say, you can sit here and be bitter and you can call people out and, and do all that side of things that I think life's just a bit short for all of that I think it's just a case of me probably focusing on where I need to go next and what I need to do next in, in life and and that's what I'm fully intent on doing and, and hopefully I could be half as successful as what I have been um, in my period of time at Ross County and, and not me being successful hopefully I can be a part of something that's as successful because it doesn't have to give you some brilliant memories and it doesn't have to make you feel good about yourself sometimes when you when you cast your mind back and do things like this and you and you start to talk about it. So Stuart, it's a simple question, but I appreciate it might not have a simple answer. What's next for you? I don't know. Um, I don't know, Andrew. I've been in contact with a number of different people, different fields, different things. I'm I'm not work shy. I've, I've said that for the last few weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm sure as heck not work shy. I've... I've pitched myself out a few times to see if anybody's looking for any voluntary work or anything like that running about the community just now. So again, if if that is the case, then I'd be more than happy to do so. And I, just to keep myself ticking over for the next couple of weeks, maybe not what I do, certainly for the rest of my life, but um, I'd be quite happy to get up and about. And if there was any help required through, as I say, the community um, at this time, then I would be delighted to do so. I, I would love to be able to do it. I want to be involved in football. I want to... I feel like I probably have plenty to offer in, in that front. I love nothing more than standing out in a football pitch and, and trying to help people improve. Um, you hear a lot of managers and coaches saying that it's it's all about them. I've made that player better and I've done this and I've done that. I, I'm not a believer in that. I, I would like to help, see if I could try and help and maybe use some of my experience and, and some of what I believe in to see if it can it can help people in the game. Um, hopefully not for my own benefit, but just to see another project or someone else prosper. And, and I would love that to be the case. I don't know what's out there. It's a it's a really difficult time, isn't it? I don't I don't imagine that there's too many jobs in the go as it sits just now. Um, there's a lot of people losing jobs, which it's such a tough time. We see so many people going through that many challenges just now. It's, it's difficult and I feel a wee bit guilty sometimes talking about my own personal situation and where I want to go and what I want to do. Probably had a wee bit of feel in the last couple of days that I might come to me maybe moving back down the road. I'm thinking potentially moving away from the Highlands Um um, possibly moving on to pastures new seems to be the consensus in my house at the minute. I think um, Katie, my missus, has a real um, desire to do that and, and maybe 
start to head back closer to what we would originally have called home. And and I think the kids have probably got a wee bit of desire for that as well. And, and maybe in doing so, that potentially opens up some more avenues for me and opens up some more doors for me. Gets us a wee bit closer to home. And, and I know everybody probably feeling it during this time will see how hard it's been. And I just think that we maybe feel like our kids miss out on a lot with what's quite a big family that we have down the road and, and maybe it's time for them to get a wee, a wee opportunity of that. So, listen, there'll be a lot of water that we need to cross under the bridge before that actually happens, but it's certainly something that we are speaking about just now and and who knows what comes off the back of it. Um, I've done a lot of different jobs over my time. I've turned my hand to a lot of different things, so... Let's see what comes. I know a lot of good people and um, I've got a lot of friends and, as I say, family in that region. So so maybe that is the next bit for us. I'm, I'm not going to rubber stamp that right this second because, like I say, there'd be a, a number of things that would need to happen for that. But maybe, just maybe, it's time to move on. Well, I don't think anybody listening to this could doubt your passion, certainly, or your knowledge for football. Sure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure it won't be too long before you're back in football. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate you getting me on. It was great. It was great doing it. Thank you. It really was great to speak to Stuart again. I just love hearing his passion for football shine through the way it does. That just about wraps us up for this episode, though. But before I go, remember to come back here tomorrow when myself and sports editor Will Clark will be taking you through the week's sports news. And of course, remember to buy a paper. Also, you can feel free to let us know what you think of the podcast so far, and even if there are any other people you'd like to see us have on for a special episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. 